Hi everyone, it's Maria Recruit here from All Things Real Estate and guess where I am? I'm actually on Clubhouse and like I invited you earlier tonight to join me on Clubhouse at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and you'll be looking for the title says Real Wealth, Real Estate Wealth with Maria Recruit and I have a lovely guest, John Esplana. He's a realtor at Compass Real Estate San Francisco Bay Area and he's a former realtor of Caldwell Banker Global. Also, what I like about John is that he's also a real estate investor. So welcome, John, to my show. How are you this evening? I'm doing well, Maria. Thank you for um, asking. And I'm excited to, to share thoughts and strategies and, and what have you around you know, real estate investing and wealth. Absolutely. We just had a little bit of a, of a discussion. I thought I, you got me so excited about what's going on, you know, in your neck of the woods because I've heard so much about what's going on in California. I thought, well, let's why don't we just do the show right here live and then I'll just share it with all my listeners. So tell me what's going on in California now. Well, you know, despite, that's a great question, Maria, despite what the media will tell you, you know, our, our, our local real estate market and is, you know, before the wildfires or after, you know, during the wildfires of California last October in the fall, I probably wouldn't say this, uh, mm -hmm. but it's on fire. Yeah. You know, so, um, but it's definitely been very active. And despite what the media will tell you, you know, property sales, I mean, we, as a realtor, and I have a team of realtors at Compass, you know, that was probably our best year in 24 years. Oh, boy. As it relates to helping clients, you know, buy and sell real estate and what have you. Because, you know, what's happened through all this, quite frankly, is, you know, through COVID, sheltering in place, what have you, life is still going on. Yes. Right? If you think about it, you know, people are still adding to their family. People are still being, you know, subtracted their family, moving on to the next space in their lives or what have you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people are moving. And so, you know, except for, I'd say, a couple of weeks last March of 2020 when, you know, our local and state governments were trying to figure out how to do business safely, um, We've been we've been very busy, and so you know our single family home market um, is up anywhere from eight to ten percent last year, and just through the first quarter uh, alone in 2021, I'm seeing four to five percent appreciation. I think what's happened is is that people realize this is the new normal, mm -hmm. and you know we still have to you know um, whether it be buy, sell, or invest. You know, look at our portfolio, still plan for the future as best we can. So um, that's what we're really seeing in the market where I could see early on in the in the depths of COVID, say the middle of last year, um, you know, rents were down in San Francisco and the Bay Area anywhere from you know, 20 to 30 percent. And since then, they've definitely uh, flattened out. And I can see them actually, um, you're starting to see small uh, price increases. Now, that being said, on the rental side, it's not what it was pre-COVID. Um, but quite frankly, most of the people who were um, in a position to buy, sell, or even rent were really, in, these, uh, in terms of high-quality you know, properties, haven't really been affected. And in fact, if anything, we're seeing you know an influx of people who are able to work virtually, but maybe were tied to other parts of the country and have always wanted to live in the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley. That makes sense. Now, I have a question for you, though, okay? Because there's there's always a boom, and after boom, there's a bust. And that's exactly what happened in the United States. I mean, the prices were being inflated in 2007, 2008, and then you had the bust. 
So I, my prediction is we're, we are we are going to have a bust. I don't know about you guys in the states, but it's impossible. The prices, the way they're going up over here, is like it's like the stock market. It's not even good solid real estate investing principles. Is what I live by, right? Being in real estate, a real estate investor since 2000, 21 years, and it's crazy what's going on right now. People can't sustain it because they don't have jobs. I mean, not everyone has jobs, and they're going to be you know shedding more jobs now. So what are your thoughts about that? Do you not see that this is going to bust? Another great question, Maria. I think what <laughs> the difference this time around mm -hmm. is that, you know, let's say pre-Great Recession, you know, in the years, the five, you know, the three, four years leading up to where the financial markets imploded, mm -hmm. you know, at least here in the States, um, you know, the real estate, 60% of all real estate purchases were speculative, yes. as you know. Yes. And, you know, what's what's changed is the ability, you know, and the ability for financing and to obtain financing. So it's really reversed. 65 to 65% of our purchases since 2012 are actually primary homes. And so that, and that has a lot to do with the financing, whereas, you know, before, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, whether it be stated income loans, no income loans, mm -hmm. you know, can you breathe? Can we see your breath on a mirror loan? Um, you know, you know, like, Good one. I remember being in Las Vegas for a conference uh -huh. and coming home, and I remember the taxi driver said to me, oh, found out I was in real estate and said, oh, wow, I have, you know, six rental properties here in Vegas. And I remember what Tony Robbins said one time, mm -hmm. um, and he said, like, when you're hairstylist or your your taxi cab driver has more properties than you do and you're an investor full-time investor it's time to run and i remember that to this day i remember where i was sitting i remember looking at the road like oh my gosh this is exactly what tony robbins said but a lot of that had to do with access to capital and mm -hmm. financing okay so you know the pendulum has definitely swung since the great recession and you know as much as it's available it's still very um, much restricted to people who actually have jobs, have a great credit score, okay. um, have assets. You know, so that has been the number one uh, factor, I believe, where you know that, that that is different, fundamentally different from the last time around, um, to where I don't really see you know the market imploding like last time. And in fact, even in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, we were—I mean, our prices were down. And, and there are nine counties mm -hmm. in the San Francisco Bay Area. People don't know that. Yeah. But, you know, um, the, the primary counties where, going back to your point, jobs are located, um, were really insulated. Now, prices were down maybe 10 or 15 percent, but not, no, nowhere near some of the other outlying counties of the Bay Area where they were down, you know, where, you know, they were down 30, even 40 percent, right? So, um so this time around, I think it's sustainable. Do I see another four to five percent in the second quarter of 2021? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, I'm speaking with realtors just over the last 20, 40, 48 hours as we're helping clients sell and helping clients submit offers. Mm -hmm. And I don't see anything that's going to say that the second quarter won't be as strong as the first quarter. That being said, I there are points of like you said, that I do agree with, you know, there is going to be, I could see here, this being similar to 2017, where we had a very strong 
uh, spring, mm-hmm. early yeah. summer yeah. of about 8%. Yeah. And the fall was flat. And mm-hmm. where you saw price decreases were, you know, sellers bringing on the market thinking, okay, using the spring market mm-hmm. as a launching pad into the fall yeah. and pricing accordingly. And then they had to bring it back. And at the end of the day, the market ended up, you know, all things you know, between the spring and the fall ended up still being up 5%. We just didn't see it catapult from 8 to 12% mm-hmm. or 16%. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you because that's what's happening in Canada, right? But but actually, I was talking to my mortgage broker yesterday or today. I don't remember which day it was. And he was saying that he's already seeing things slowing down. So any houses around the $1 million mark, you know, uh, up to 900000 they're still getting multiple offers. But above that, it, slowed, it has slowed down. Where, where um, let's say uh, last year, it didn't matter what the price was, people were going crazy for that, you know. So I have another, I have another question because over here, what happened is in March of 2020, uh, they decreased uh, the bank, the Bank of Canada decreased the interest rate three times in one month. So in March of 2020, it decreased three times, and then March of 2021, it increased two times. Uh, and so we went right down to one point, whatever, 25 for interest rate. That's why there was so much call for purchasing real estate that are way above their their capacity to carry the mortgage if the points go up. So I'm asking you, is that what happened in the States? Like, is that what's happening now? What is your the lowest interest rates that people are able to get their mortgages at? If we were to use the 30-year fixed mortgage as a sort of like, uh, the standard mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, you know, in November, I'd say late October, November, and parts of December, uh, probably about from October through January, rates dipped down to like the 2.7, 2. 2.5% range, which, okay. you know, that, at that point, like it's almost like free money, not once yes. you take into account the both the, the, the tax deduction on mortgage interest. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, so that definitely caused. Um, definitely people between, there was squeeze on both sides, whether it be, you know, with, with home price appreciation and then rates being low, mm-hmm. you know, they felt the need like this is the time to strike. We definitely had clients, even, you know, I remember placing an, and getting an offer accepted on Christmas Eve. That's how, you know, <laughs> people were, um, how, how frenzy it was. And yes. in, over the last four weeks, that 30-year fixed mortgage has climbed about a quarter percent as, you know, the, the vaccine started being released, and then people started feeling better about the economy. There was a, a flight to quality for mortgage-backed securities and bonds to the equities. Mm-hmm. And so that resulted in about a quarter percent increase in the rate to about 3%. Uh, if I look at all the economists that I follow, both whether it be the National Association of Realtors, California Association of Realtors, um, First American, they're all roughly predicting on a 30-year fixed mortgage you know, it going this time next year, they think it'll be roughly on average about three and a quarter percent. But you know, between now and then, there may be fluctuations an eighth here and eighth there. There, sure. but I think what how that affects buyers right now is that um, they still see there's some buyers who are not as um, educated on that, and so they have a fear that you know the rates will go higher than that, and so they want to secure their cost of borrowing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on all our research. Uh, we're advising our clients like, look, at the end of the day, it's three, three and a quarter percent. You know, if we can't let that distract us to make uh, from making sure that one is it a good property, whether you're buying, selling, or investing, right? Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, yeah. primary, uh, 
that they're buying or investing for, for whatever that purpose. If it's not the right property for you and it doesn't have the right property profile, um, then let's not jump the gun because of fears of, you know, our cost of borrowing increasing um, any, anything beyond you know, three, you know, three and a quarter, let's say, over the next 12 months. And that's still very inexpensive. And in, in the long run, what's that going to be? A couple dollars, even if it goes a couple points, right? But what it is, mm-hmm. though, is when people over leveraged, even at the lower lower end. So let's say that people have over leveraged themselves at 1.5% or whatever, because which, which is what's been going on here in Canada. And then what happens is as it, as it raises, right, as it, because it will, there's no way it's going to stay that low uh, because who can afford that, right? The banks can't afford that. <laughs> and right. so, so that they, because if they're over leveraged, then even a couple points or, or half a point, whatever, will make a difference. Unless they purchase it outright. And the, the other thing too, John, as a real estate investor, I don't know about you, but I do look for a 10% return on investment. That's what I look for. That's always kept me out of trouble because that covers off on all the expenses. And I know I've made right. a good purchase. So if you don't, if you can't, if you're carrying a negative balance, I mean, if you're carrying a house that you have to put your own money into, I don't really think that's the best way to go about purchasing real estate. Like my father always told me, real estate has to pay you, Maria. You don't pay it, right? It has to feed you, not the other way around. So, do you have any advice? Do you have any advice for people? Because I know you're an investor also. And John, are you uh, single family dwellings or multiple family dwellings, or what are you into? Um, started off with single family. Started off with condos, single families, and I worked my way up to a 13 unit apartment building in Austin. That's really my like if I had to look at like that's my trophy property, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and and beyond that, quite frankly, now I'm looking at uh, you know as as I shared with you earlier, wholesaling, right? Yes. Trying to find properties and then assigning it, and then you know they um you know making a little bit of money on the haircut between me and mm-hmm. this you know and the ultimate buyer, but you, know, you can raise something interesting because as if I understand it in Canada. You look, you your your mortgage financing options are more adjustable rate. Is that correct? Yeah, we have. Yes, we do. We do have. We have the fixed rate, and then we have. Um, do we remember the name of it right now? Which is kind of silly because I've had it many times. It goes up and down. Like it depends on what's happening with the with the interest rate with the bank. It goes up and down. I'm sorry, I can't think of the name right now. But yes, we do have That's that. Okay. Do you not have that in the United States? That it. It, it fluctuates? Well, as it relates to single-family homes, you know, um, anything up to four units, you're going to have a 30-year fixed um, mortgage available to you. So, one, that protects, as you know, you know, investors from fluctuations in rate, right? Yeah. Now, that being said, beyond that, when you're looking at anything above four units and definitely multifamily, you know, then you're looking at adjustable rates, anywhere from three, five, seven. 10-year fixed rates, mm-hmm. okay. you're definitely going to be fixed, but typically, you know, they're not, they're, the whole time of the asset is going to determine the fixed rate period, so if they don't plan on, if they plan on unloading it, you know, or doing it an exchange, you know, they'll typically make sure that their, um, their fixed rate of their financing is, you know, anywhere from a year to two years. Uh, more than they expect the whole time of the asset to be. Okay, so the, what, what, for us it's called variable rates. So it can be fixed or variable. And 
And right. it, it depends. Like when I was first investing 21 years ago, I liked the variable rate. And I normally didn't take a mortgage. Like I could have a 30-year amortization or 40-year. I really liked the 40-year because it really brought all my costs down, right? And then I usually took the variable. And I remember over 20 years ago that I would actually, my interest rate fell down to 1.25 or something like that because of the variable rate. So I think it depends on what you want to do with it. Now, even now, I still take uh, mortgages just one year at a time. It may be amortized over 30 or 25 or whatever, but I take it one year at a time because I don't know what I want to do with my property. I may want to flip it. I may want to refinance. I may want to do a lot of things with it. So this way, I don't want to have the penalties that can go if you get into a fixed rate. And, and if, you know, for fixed time, like five years or something like that, I don't want to be bothered as an investor to do that at this time. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, my, I started off in the industry as a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, my, my processor, my loan processor, she had two properties in San Francisco, long-time properties, one single-family home, one apartment building. But on, you know, on her, on her single-family home that she'd had for 25 years, She's like, you know what, I actually don't believe in fixed-rate mortgages. I believe in variables with short terms because Mm -hmm. for that same thing, I want the flexibility Mm -hmm. and I don't want to be locked into. So she's like, I've run the the, the pros and cons and the the pros of having flexibility to me outweigh, you know, the the fixed piece of this more so than just having the variable. So I appreciate that thought. Absolutely. But sometimes they don't even offer that anymore. They may not even offer that. So it depends on well, which definitely, bank. <laughs> definitely loan programs have changed, right? What was available, like I said, during before the, the, the Great Recession is definitely um, much different than it is now, right? It's all about yes, risk and how it much is. the bank or the investor yeah. Yeah, I have a question for you because we hear so much going on in California that there's so many squatters, you know. Um, So are you finding that a lot of investors are leaving California because of what taxes are coming into play that they're going to be like the homeowner? Or even the investor will be taxed like up to their yin yang um, for real estate? Because this is what we're hearing. I, I, I watch it on YouTube because there's investors that talk there. And a lot of them are leaving. Even businesses are leaving because of the taxes. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Definitely there are people who are looking at their tax um, situation and seeing where California stands with that and have made moves either to uh, relocate their primary you know, residents for tax purposes, like for instance, Elon Musk, yeah. his prior residence now is in Nevada, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, his rental or his apartment or his home, I should say, he's not in an apartment, mm-hmm. but his rental property that he lives in is and where he spends most of his time is still in California. But for tax purposes, I am seeing people relocate their primary residence, even though they spend the majority of their time in California. So Elon Musk is actually renting a dwelling, but his own home is in Nevada. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Oh. Correct. <laughs> That's smart. That's really smart. It's very smart. Very smart move. Very smart move. My own mother, who's a retired electrical engineer from AT&T, and she will tell you, like, she's very analytical. It's like, well, she's like, oh, we should move. Like, well, mom, I go, we're talking about two different things here, two different yeah. types of people. Yeah. But let me share with you what he's really doing, yeah. right? And of course. So, 
Um, well, once she heard that, she's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Sure. Right? But uh, <laughs> you know, on the surface, it can seem like everybody's leaving. But I think definitely that's something that investors and high income, you know, high net worth individuals have to take into account. Um, yes. As it relates. I mean, even, you know, look, I'm no Elon Musk, and at the same time, I have assets and income. Mm-hmm. And how, what am I going to do, you know, to, you know, reposition myself to, to maximize my income and, and which is really a lot of it is based on minimizing my tax situation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as I, especially as I, I get older. I mean, um, so, you know, my end game is not to work, you know, 60 hours a week as a realtor and investor. Yeah. It, it, trust me, it's not. <laughs> I know. I know it's tough. It's tough. I actually... Uh, are, I'm living 100% on my real estate investments since 2008. So I, that's it. That's all I do is real estate now. And I don't have that many homes anymore. I sold a lot. Uh, because we felt after the 2008 disaster that happened in the United States, it did trickle down into Canada. Because what I found at that time is that I couldn't find really good tenants anymore. They were people that were, you know, troublesome. And so that's why I did a lot of rent-to-owns because I could find better people for that. Normally, somebody who wants to do a rent-to-own property usually is a little bit more serious than the regular renter, right? So that's what I went into. And then I did fix and flips after that, and I got out of the market. And then I'm starting to reinvest now, buy more. But... Since this craziness started, all I did was refinance because my properties appreciated so much in value. I might as well pull it out, put it in the bank, and just wait, right, for the right moment for the right house because it is going to stall. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's going to stall. So when it stalls or or actually – I had some investors, like big-time investors, Canadian investors, that were saying that there's going to be a lot of foreclosures coming up. Do you feel that's going to be true in California also? You know what I? You know I've had I've done research on forbearances. I, you know, as I understand it, last time I looked, and it was probably about three weeks ago. There was over three million people or homeowners in forbearance. Oh now that being said, wow. the deeper dive, though, on yeah. the surface, that's very newsworthy. Yeah, right. Of course. Um, once you do the deeper dive, though, seventy-five percent of those three million mm-hmm. um, could have afforded to make their payments, but they were. Advise. They read the media. Whether hedging their bets, they chose to enter into forbearance. But seventy-five percent of them never stopped making their payments. So the the deeper dive really is ten percent of those people are you know at risk. Um, So we're looking at about you know three hundred you know three hundred twenty-five thousand people. And then this then the 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 report I read, if you were to release that three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars home into the market what would it do to the market mm-hmm. and based on buyer demand you could release that into the market it would still be purchased um, because and there would still be it would not basically it would not meet demand yeah so yes even if it goes to foreclosure or short sale foreclosure if they don't expect it um to affect the market adversely because there's just so many more buyers than there are properties available i mean right now for instance, if we're not even you know, looking at multifamily, if we're just looking at residential units, one to four units, um, we have nationwide, we have less than 1.9 months of inventory yeah, well, so um, available so, right now. Yeah, that's what's in Canada, the same thing, too. All of a sudden, there's this yeah. big need, right? And people, because of the COVID, right. are moving out of the big cities and moving to other provinces, basically. But I can see a lot of that reversing back. 
I can see that. I mean, that's another topic you and I can talk another time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close off our session, session here, but do you want to let people know how they can get in touch with you, John? Well, thanks a lot, Maria, for asking. And, yes, the best way to reach out to me is just call me on my cell phone. That's really the best way, call or text. And that number is area code 650-315-5968. Fantastic. I want to thank you for being a guest on my show, All Things Real Estate with Maria Recruit. And that was John Esplana from California, San Francisco. And um, I want to thank you very much, John. It was wonderful having you as 